As you guys may or may not know, taking care of your teeth is pretty important. Our friends at Green Mountain Dental Group are giving away a free Sonicare toothbrush when you schedule a cleaning, x-ray, and exam. That's right. You simply have to take care of your teeth for Green Mountain Dental Group to hand over a free Sonicare. Check them out today online or call 303-988-0711 to schedule your appointment today. What is up, everybody, and welcome to the DNVR Nuggets podcast presented by... For the first time ever, Illegal Pete's. You guys have no idea how excited I have been to say that. I got this deal put together. The DNVR crew, our great sales team, Lindsay Sauer, got this deal together about a month ago. And I have been itching, itching to announce the sponsorships for quite some while, uh, quite a while. I'm not even kidding. I love Illegal Pete's. You know our MO here at Denver is trying to bring in all of like our favorite sort of Denver companies, and this is probably top of the list. So I'm going to go ahead and read the read for the first time, but I can't wait to be reading this for the rest of the year. That's right. Denver's home for the best burritos, tacos, nachos, and so much more. Seriously, I get people tell me all the time. They're coming into Denver, and they're like, where should I eat? You know, I'm from Germany. I'm from wherever. Where should I eat? Illegal Pete's. Check them out. Illegal Pete's. Not only is it great and delicious and, like, a, you know, affordable. It's not like a suit. You're not going to break the bank to go there. But it's also just Denver. That's your Denver experience. They're offering the DNVR family an incredible deal. If you guys are heading to any game or any event, stop by Illegal Pete's before or after you go. The same day of your event, show show them your ticket, and you will get a free draft beer or a free margarita with a purchase of a full-size entree. How crazy is this? A free beer or margarita. Illegal Pete's has nine locations in Colorado, six in Denver, two in Boulder, one in Fort Collins. So make sure that you swing by for a delicious grub before or after any game or any event and grab your free beer or a margarita with a purchase of a full-size entree. I am so pumped that they are part of the show. Going to Legal Pete's tomorrow just to celebrate. That's how excited I am about this. Today's episode of the show is going to be on the game against the Houston Rockets. Um, Denver gets blown out. On second watch, I actually just... First of all, everybody knows this. Watching the Houston Rockets play is a miserable experience. A miserable experience. I love watching the Nuggets play. Like Michael Porter Jr., there's this hype around him. He played well. We're going to talk about that. But having to rewatch this game was a real chore because, my God, the Houston Rockets, they're the Martin Shkreli of the NBA, <laughs> the Bernie Madoff of the NBA. They're just not, they're, they just have so totally rigged the game against what it was originally intended to do. I know this is an old man yells at cloud rant, and I know that it's the most common rant that people have when they talk about the Houston Rockets, but it's true. This team is so annoying and so difficult to watch, and this game was especially difficult to rewatch. But nonetheless, they are a riddle. After the game, Malone referenced the riddle of the Sphinx, um, kind of tongue in cheek, but saying that you know they're not solving them is not the riddle of the Sphinx. But the truth is, Houston has been a team that Denver has had a tough time with over the last three years. Really, in this this James Harden era, I, I've talked about this at length before, but they really do present a challenge for Denver that is unique. That spread pick and roll to defend it uh, to defend it best, you got to have some real length, locked in defenders. Um, and Denver just lacks some of those things. They especially lack it with Gary Harris out, which he was in this game. So Gary Harris out, Torrey Craig in. And I've talked about this a lot. Torrey Craig had his best game of the year against the Houston Rockets, and he was one of the reasons that Denver won that game previously. It was the first one that they had in years, and it was an encouraging one. But it was that combination of Gary Harris and Torrey Craig that I think really elevated the team. 
you take one of those guys out. Well, first of all, I think Torrey Craig is a very good defender against Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook, I had heard a story that Russell Westbrook really wanted Torrey Craig on Oklahoma City when his contract was up a couple years ago. was kind of recruiting him because of how well he guards him. Well, instead, Torrey Craig spent a lot of time on James Harden, who I don't think he guards very well. He guards okay. Nobody on the Nuggets guards him that well. But Gary Harris, the stronger, burlier defender, and James Harden, the stronger, burlier player. And I just think that Torrey Craig has been pretty ineffective at guarding those types of guys. So already, you know, I understand Malone's thinking. I understand him rewarding his players. He says, okay, Torrey Craig was a big part of what worked the last time. But I I am a big believer in you're going to have to score some points against the Houston Rockets, probably 110, 115 minimum. You're going to have to put up against them because I just don't think there's any fully stopping them and shutting them down. What's interesting, though, is that Denver did shut them down in their previous matchup. And what's even more interesting is Denver deployed a defensive strategy that has since been copied by every team in the NBA. They've taken a look and said, wow, Denver had success. What did they do that shut them down? I think Denver was the first team all season to hold the Rockets below 100 points when they first match up. So everybody, of course, is looking at the tape. And here's what Denver did so well in that first matchup. They threw double teams at James Harden, but they constantly were mixing up the angle the direction it was coming from. You know, sometimes it would come one pass away. Sometimes it'd come from the left side, the right side, strong, weak, whatever. And then more importantly, they were mixing up the timing of it. So rather than just always sprinting out a double team at him, Sometimes they would let him play iso ball for a little bit and then all of a sudden run out at him at the last second, just trying to throw off his rhythm, and it really, really worked. Now, since then, not only have other teams copied that defensive strategy, but the Houston Rockets have worked on how to attack it, and I thought they put on a clinic in this game of how to sort of beat uh, Denver's strategy. So I think part of this game you can kind of whittle down to, okay, they didn't have Gary Harris and to really stop them, you're going to have to have your best perimeter defender, or at least both of them. You're going to have to use both Craig and Gary Harris. But I think part of it, I, I think Denver would be remiss if they, like Michael Malone said after the game, solely said, oh, well, they didn't execute the strategy, and also, oh, well, there wasn't Gary Higgins. Malone didn't use Gary Harris being not, not being there as an excuse, but I think it, it, it's easy to do. I think that's only part of the story. The other part of it is that Houston has figured some things out, and now it's up to Denver to sort of counter what they did. And I'm going to talk about that here in just a little bit. Um, Denver, by the way, didn't do a great job. To Malone's point, they didn't do a great job of having sort of a coherent strategy of sending that double. Um, I thought it was a lot more obvious in this game when and where the double was coming. And there was a couple times, I think Torrey Craig in particular, just not very good at sort of the subtlety of it. I, I likened it on the list, which I may or may, I, I put up an episode of the list on Bull Bull that's really fascinating. So you're going to probably want to check that one out if you haven't. I think 13 clips of Bull Bull in the G League. I talk about why I think he's a really exciting prospect, but why I don't think he, he will play at all this season. In fact, I'd be surprised if he did. And if he did play, I think he would get absolutely destroyed. Um, but I still remain really intrigued by him as a prospect and think he's a super high upside one. And then I even talk about his fit alongside Nikola Jokic. I feel like after watching, I think I watched six of his eight games. Two of them were on ES, Watch ESPN, but I couldn't find a, a feed to them. Watched all the other ones. And really got a good sense of, of, I feel, of what kind of player he is at this very moment and, and sort of 
some of the avenues to him finding success in the NBA. So definitely check that out if you're a DNVR subscriber. And if you're not, $5 a month, what are you waiting on? We're getting tons and tons and tons of great reviews. A lot of people got this as a Christmas gift, and it was cool to kind of see them. One guy said he went back and read every single episode of the list, which is like 20 by this point in the season. So um, that's how much he was into it. So getting tons and tons of great reviews. Um, but I have a clip in there of, of Tory Craig sort of running out at James Harden in a way that he totally predicts. And I liken it to a quarterback seeing the blitz. It's almost like Peyton Manning knowing the blitz is coming, pretending he doesn't see it, and then right at the right moment turning around and breaking it, not just breaking the blitz, but getting getting a, a receiver going downfield. Well, that was what James Harden was doing in this one. And one of the things, the biggest, I would say, difference that the Houston Rockets had in this game from the previous one and sort of how they've changed their attack since teams have kind of figured out a strategy is they're not kicking the ball to guys, to stationary guys. One of the things Denver was doing, especially true with Russell Westbrook, in fact, I would say primarily true, is Denver would leave Westbrook and say, okay, Westbrook's a 30% three-point shooter. We'll just make him shoot a ton of threes. And he obliged in that first game. I think he was like one of nine. Well, in this game, he would catch that pass on the move. So he knew that the double was coming off his guy, and he would sort of run into the catch and run downhill so that when Denver recovered, there would be a four-on-three, and they just wouldn't be able to um, – Denver wouldn't be able to recover. And, and that's a great way to beat it. You can see examples of this up on the list um, that I think paint the picture very, very well. Early on in this game, Paul Millsap was targeting – Paul Millsap and Jamal Murray. In fact, Jamal Murray is going to be a major story in this. I thought it was an absolutely awful performance from him. Pretty invisible on the offensive end, um, sloppy at times, and then just absent at others. And then defensively, especially on rewatch. I mean, it was obvious in the first time, but especially on rewatch. That first quarter, they hunted for him in the pick and roll and attacked him every time. Whether it was Harden or Westbrook, they would hunt Jamal Murray and then go at him. On the occasions they could not attack Jamal Murray, they were trying to get Millsap, and Millsap was just uh, a step slow in that first quarter. He made a couple really bad sort of defensive rotations, and then when he got stuck on James Harden, did a really good bad or a really bad job of preventing him from getting into the paint, not not even taking good angles at him, but just kind of allowing him to waltz in, and on a couple of occasions giving him an and one opportunity. Quickly, I want to tell you about the strawberry sky. And if you look up, I just opened up my weather app because I wanted to look at this. It is sunny for the next 10 days here in Denver, Colorado, which is kind of great because it's, um, you know, it, 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 the, the worst time of year. I love Colorado. I'm a huge Colorado guy. January, February, just kind of miserable here in Denver. But we're getting off to a hot start. It's going to be 60 degrees on Saturday. And when it's 60 degrees, you know what that means. It's time to crack open the strawberry sky. Pretend it's summer. Throw on your tank top, your flip-flops, your shorts. Crack open a delicious strawberry sky. The perfect amount of strawberry flavor to a nice Kolsch, Kolsch beer. I, I, honestly, the strawberry sky is the most popular beer I think that they have there. And we joke about it being a summer beer, but it's really a year-round beer. A great time for you to check out Breckenridge Brewery and to check out a Breck beer next Wednesday when we have our first watch party of the season. We had the live show, and that was great. The Denver Nuggets are going to be in Dallas uh, taking on the Mavericks. You're going to get to see Doncic versus Jokic. Our first watch party, and also my birthday. It's going to double as my birthday party, so come on out. Join us. We always have a lot, a really good time. I'll be there, and I want to talk nuggets with you, so bring me your nuggets questions. Come sit with me. Watch the game with me. Cheer on the game with me. Have a nice strawberry sky or maybe a seasonal ale at, Breck, at, at uh, Blake Street Tavern. So it's going to be at Blake Street Tavern Wednesday for that Dallas Mavericks game. 
bring your DNVR gear. It's going to be awesome. And actually, you can pick up DNVR gear. So if you've been waiting, you can go there. You don't have to pay shipping. You just pay the, the price for the uh, shirts and, and put them on right then and there. Really hope to see you guys out there. And like I said, we'll be drinking our, our Strawberry Skies. In fact, you get there, I'll have a Strawberry Sky with you. Um, Mile High Green Cross, we got to tell you about our friends. Uh, those guys offer an experience that you won't forget. Mile High Green Cross has award-winning products. I mean award-winning. Check out this year's Cannabis Cup winning products when you head to their website. They're giving the DNVR family $5 off your purchase of $25 or more. Just mention this ad. Mile High Green Co Cross offers a variety of CBD products from edibles, concentrates, and cartridges. They pride themselves on their customer service, and it shows. Every single time you pop in, you will receive one-on-one -on -one attention with one of their seasoned sales associates. Not to mention that everyday low prices on in-house products such as $99 pre-pack ounces and V3 hash oil bulk deals, five, five cartridges for $100. Mile High Green Cross, Cross offers out-the-door pricing. What they advertise is what you pay. No cash, no problem. This is big. No cash, no problem. Mile High Green Cross now accepts hyper. What's even better is the amount of time you spend in the dispensary. You guys probably already know this. On average, the time you walk in to the time you walk out is how many minutes? nine minutes i know that's super important for me with the hectic crazy life that i live they're informative and speedy head downtown today and check out mile high green cross they're conveniently located on 9th and broadway and they offer parking in the back remember to mention this ad to receive 25 dollars off your purchase 25 dollars or more back here on the locked on nuggets podcast presented by illegal Pete's. don't forget to check out illegal Pete's. tell them adam Mata sent you dmvr sent you Get the queso, the chips and queso, along with the burrito bowl. That's my go-to. Actually, they have breakfast, too. Whenever I go meet my wife for breakfast downtown, we always get the, the breakfast burrito. Uh, I actually get the breakfast burrito bowl because I'm a carb-conscious guy. Delicious. Delicious. I'm going to have to go down there one day this week. Um, that's how hyped I am about this. Um, getting back into the game here, Jamal Murray getting targeted on defense. So Harden is a tough cover for anybody. So is Westbrook. Tough covers for anybody. But you got to be able to put up at least a little bit of resistance. And with Harden, he's just not big enough. And against Westbrook, he's also not big enough. Westbrook, you know Westbrook is comfortable when he starts trash-talking. He was giving Murray an earful, and he was kind of shaking his head at, you know, there, there was a couple times in that first quarter, I think Westbrook went at him like five times in a row. And one time, you know, he gets he gets down, he kind of just backs him down, uses his size. Murray allows him, or not necessarily allows him, but just incapable of keeping him from getting to a spot, and then shoots the little tiny fall away. I was listening, uh, the first time through I listened to the Rockets broadcast, second time listened to the, which was a, a big mistake, God, that, that was tough. Kept referring to Jokic as Jokic. Um, kept complaining about foul calls, which I thought was absurd. I thought the, the officiating in this game was Denver got a real tough, real, real tough whistle, I thought, in this one. But um, the second time through, I listened to Marlon Hastings, and Hastings was mentioning, I thought had a great observation. It looked like Westbrook knew exactly what he was going to do to Jamal Murray in this game. And he came into it just backing him down to about that 10-foot range, 8-foot range, and then would go to that fall away. And he did that over and over and over again, and, and Murray just did not have an answer for it to me if you go back and you look at both the series against Portland and the series against the playoff series against the Spurs when Denver was their most vulnerable the start of the Spurs series and the start of uh, the end of the Portland series in both instances Jamal Murray was the guy getting singled out not Nikola Jokic as most people think not Nikola Jokic, who has been a very good defender. If you looked at some of the advanced stats, some of the on-off numbers, whatever you look at, he especially in crunch time and especially in you know playoff settings, he has been very, very good and shown that he's actually even a little bit more mobile um, than I think his reputation warrants or the, his re reputation would have you to believe. 
Jamal Murray is the guy that has been targeted in a playoff series, and I think it's a real concern with him. I thought he had great defense or very good defensive effort early on in the season, maybe the first 10 games of the year or so. But that has really dropped off over this last this last stretch. And Murray himself, I think, just in a little bit of a, of a slump, both offensively and defensively, I put on Twitter, maybe he, he looks a little banged up to me. He's wincing a little bit. I wouldn't be surprised if there was some some injury we don't know about with him or some some nagging thing. Now, I don't want to, I'm not trying to use this as an excuse, but he was that bad in this game defensively that it, it really is one of those things that makes you look at if Jamal Murray is the competitor that he says, and I believe he is. I think Jamal Murray is a winner. I think he wants to win. I think he's a gamer. Um, but if he is, he's got to look in the mirror at games like this and say, wow, they talk targeted me every time down court and they went at me and I just could not get any stops. Um, it was so bad that actually, you know, Denver made a couple runs, one of which late in the second quarter, Malone left Murray on the bench for a long time, ran with Monte and the team did a very good job of climbing back into it. So, um, it, it really, really concerning. I think one of the biggest takeaways was just how, how much Jamal Murray, who needs to be your second best player, at least most of the time was a, an active negative, especially on the defensive end. But the first unit actually wasn't the story of this game. The second unit checks in at the end of that first quarter and just completely lost control of the game. This is, uh, by the way, pre-Michael uh, Porter Jr. checking in. But second unit comes in. It was 20-24 to 24 when they subbed in with three minutes remaining. They get outscored 14-6. to 14-6. Now, there were some tough calls, including a tech on Michael Malone that um, – <laughs> It seemed absurd that Malone would get a tech for for screaming something at the end of the bend. It wasn't a curse word. He said something that he was challenging a play call, and you could see the broadcast had Malone saying, "That's a tech! Like, come on, are you are you absolutely kidding me?" Um, but that that lead goes from twenty to twenty four. Um, to they're down, I think sixteen or or fourteen or something. Let's see, what would that be? They're twenty six to thirty eight. Oof! So down twelve. Um, in a three-minute stretch. I mean, you're right in the game to down 12 in a three-minute stretch. And and to me, that as well as the bench unit to open the fourth quarter was really what determined this game. Um, MPJ's instincts on the offensive glass are just incredible. Absolutely incredible. He has a real nose for the ball, but it's not just... Um, I love watching him. If you really just kind of slow it down and watch his angles, he just has like this... It's funny, he doesn't always look like he's trying hard. He always looks like he's trying hard on the offensive glass. And it's not just trying hard. He just looks at the if you think about the entire like restricted area, this like half dome around the around their basket, he just goes wherever there is not a body standing there and then counts on his length and athleticism to outjump people and it works because it's not like he's trying to like swim move people or fight for position. He might go from the right wing to the left block for an offensive rebound. He just goes wherever there isn't anybody willing to step outside to go to get in position and it really, really works for him. I think Jeremy Grant is so unaggressive on the offensive glass and I find it really interesting because... I think players are either sort of risk averse or willing to risk everything. And, and Michael Porter Jr. is so clearly with his quick shot and just sort of his style. He's so such a, a gambler. And I think it's going to be – none of these are necessarily inherently good or bad. I think a team has to have a healthy balance of both. But Jeremy Grant is always sprinting back in transition and almost never crashing the glass. Michael Porter Jr. is almost always crashing the glass, never sprinting back in, in, in transition. But he grabs more offensive rebounds per 36 uh, – per 36 minutes than anyone on the team besides Mason Plumley. So in theory, if he was playing starter minutes, he would lead the team in offensive rebounding. And I think if you watched him, this is, this wouldn't be surprising. In fact, I would almost bet on it. And 
It's really interesting to me because I think Michael Porter Jr. is an elite fit next to Nikola Jokic on the offensive end. On the offensive end. Because not only does he shoot the ball um, really, really well and cut really, really well, especially... You know, maybe he doesn't know the playbook as well as he needs to, or this or that. But when when you're just playing read and react basketball, I think he's in spots for Jokic to find him quite a bit. Um, but off, also that offensive rebounding, I, I talked a lot about why Kenneth Freed was such a great fit for for Jokic and. Kenneth Freed, one of the best offensive rebounders, you know, over the last decade, especially as like a role player, he had a real nose for the ball and just ridiculous athleticism. And I think you lose some of that. It's funny, Mason Plumlee is also a great offensive rebounder, and that Jokic Plumlee dynamic really, really has worked, I think, in large part because of Plumlee's offensive rebounding. Millsap, not necessarily the best, although very solid. Jeremy Grant, very, very weak at this. Michael Porter Jr., very good. And I think when you think going forward, about the idea of playing Grant and MPJ together, one of the things I'm worried about with Grant is that he's just not going to hit the glass hard enough for the team to, to make up for it, uh, the, you know, to be effective offen- offensively. But if Michael Porter Jr. can sort of make up for it, then I think it works. Those two kind of almost play in concert together. So really, really intrigued. This was a great game for Michael Porter Jr. in a lot of ways. End of the quarter, Malik Beasley just completely fell asleep. Russell Westbrook runs down the court, passes it to the corner, and I think Daniel House drains a three. Just one of those plays that makes you pull your hair out. They were already on an 11-6 to run. You're already down 11 points or 9 points, and you just completely fall asleep and give up a wide-open corner three. I mean, that bench unit just really lets Denver down a little too often. Um, the Nuggets have a uh, – this is an interesting one. So to start the second quarter, you bring Jamal Murray in. Nuggets have a minus 10.8 net rating when Murray is on the court and Jokic is off. That, to me, is an extremely concerning number. You know, you hope that when you have two superstars, you put them together, they're great. You put one on the court and, and they can sort of, um, they can be okay. Maybe one is going to be a little bit better than the other or whatever, but the fact that Denver is getting outscored by 11 points per 100 possessions when Murray is on the court with any combination of players other than Jokic, then they are getting just absolutely destroyed. Now, to be fair, the other way, with Jokic on and Murray off, the numbers are not that great either. I think minus eight on only on not that many minutes. Murray plays more minutes than Jokic. But the the not interesting thing about Yoke, though, so many of those minutes have featured Torrey Craig for whatever reason. I mean, this is one area where me and Michael Malone just really, really disagree about sort of the value of, of, a, of a player like Torrey Craig. I always say... I think Malone looks at lineups, and he's actually admitted this one time, that he looks at it in terms of threes. He doesn't think about five-man unit. He thinks of threes, and what he and he went on to explain that he always thinks about, okay, you need to have this combination of defenders. So, for example, if you have Jokic in there, you need an inside defender and an outside defender. Well, I think that's a bad way of looking at Jokic specifically. It might make sense for most players, but Jokic... To me, you know, the defensive thing with defense, one player has very little impact. It's about, unless it's a center or a really truly exceptional defender like an Anthony Davis or uh, a Kawhi Leonard or somebody like that. Just, but if you're just talking about players of Torrey Craig's caliber, you know, he can make an impact. But especially against teams like Houston, they just switch Torrey Craig off of who they want to attack with anyway. And then Torrey Craig's guarding a spot-up shooter on the wing. It, to me, it, the impact of putting him on there on the defensive end is so extremely marginal. But the negative impact of having him there on the offensive end for Jokic-led minutes is just immense. You can't run Jokic ball um, with him on the court like that. So this was an example of that, but those numbers, uh, I think, with Murray on, Jokic off are, are very, very telling. Nuggets fell down 15, and Malone calls a timeout like right away. Here's what's interesting, though. Out of the timeout, 
What play does Michael Malone call? They desperately need a bucket. They're 15. They're almost in range of like losing hold of the rope. And he goes to a Michael Porter Jr. ISO. And Michael Porter Jr. delivers. They get him a post-up about 15 feet from the basket. He faces up and, and drains the jumper, nothing but net. I think Mill- um, MPJ, I've been so impressed with him. I, uh, I would say that I'm a believer in his talent. I, I really think that Michael Porter Jr.'s upside when you just look at what, what can he do, what is his skill set, it's extremely high. So high is that I would say it is – I feel extremely comfortable saying that he can be either the best or second best player on this team if he if he fully realizes you know his potential, which is a huge if. I was talking about somebody – I was talking to somebody about this tonight. When you look at Jokic – you know the talent to me is is undeniable. He's a top ten player in the NBA. He was voted first team All NBA, the best center. I mean, all of these accolades have already been given to him by the people that know, coaches and general managers in the NBA and his peers. The question now for Jokic is everything else. And I know that sounds silly, but at any given time, I think there's 10, 11, 12 players in the NBA right now. The talent, there's so much talent. There might be fifteen players in the NBA who are capable of being the best player on a championship team, talent wise. The question is. Are they going to be able to handle everything else, the leadership, the growth, the ability to sort of um, know what a team needs and bring it every night? Know yourself well enough to know what gets you going and what what brings you down. With Jokic, we're still learning. that We're seeing that process. Michael Porter Jr., I'm going to throw in that category, I, I, or at least I, I, as terms of potential. He's not anywhere near there right now. But when you see a guy that's six foot ten, six foot eleven, with his instincts for scoring, he walks onto, he steps onto the court and he scores. When you see that his shot and his quick release and and how how just how beautifully he can play on the offensive end and the impact he can have, to me, I look at it and I go, yeah, I feel pretty confident that the talent is at least there for him to become this elite caliber player. The question now is, everything else, does he have the work ethic in the offseason to put on the weight that that he needs to? Does he have the sort of um, mental toughness to do all the things that he has to, you know, to not fold under pressure, but also to, um, you know, to be able to handle adversity, including adversity from your own coach, not maybe not putting you in the position that you want. Uh, a lot of people have talked about Jokic in the past of why doesn't Malone go through him, this or that. And, I, and look, I early on in his career, I was one of those guys that didn't understand it. But one of the tests for Jokic was, can he just handle when the situation isn't perfect? And I think it was a lesson that he is better for now having had to go through that. Hopefully the same is true of Michael Porter Jr. Can his body hold up? Um, Can he sort of... Uh, accept a role that maybe isn't the one that he wants on the team that that works for him. Can, are there nights when he's going to say, you know what, I just got to feed Jamal Murray or feed Jokic or whatever. There's so many questions ahead of him, but when you watch him play, the talent just is so loud and jumps off the screen that if you're a Nuggets fan, I don't think you can help but be excited about at least the prospect. Denver at least has a lottery ticket to this player being very, very good. His willingness to shoot is, it's a double-edged sword, but to me it's actually one of his big extreme positives. He is open at all times on the court unless you are right in his grill because he is six foot ten, because he jumps, he elevates very well in his shot, and because he's just so willing, he's shot ready at all times. This is one of the things that really drives me nuts about Jamal Murray is he's ne- he's not shot ready 
as much as he should be, and that's one of the reasons he doesn't get three point shots off very much. Well, MPJ, it's almost I I I think the balance for him. I think he has shot. He has not shot too much so far this year because I think he's trying so hard not to be that guy. That was his reputation coming into the draft of oh he's a chucker or he can become a chucker. I think he's trying not to. But the flip side of that is you could tell he's always thinking he's open, and in part because he is always open. He's six foot ten, and unless you're right in his grill, he's open. Um, there's a great play clip that might be on the list. Maybe I'll just put it out on Twitter for free for everybody to see tomorrow. But there's this great play where he. Um, Westbrook is on him. He's maybe given him like three, four feet of cushion. MPJ rises up and drains the three. And it's just one of those plays where it's like, yeah, Westbrook against most players is defending him, but against MPJ, he's not, uh, MPJ can get open. That's huge for Denver. And that's huge for their potential going forward, because that gives you another player that is an elite offensive threat that has Steph Curry like gravity based on just on how tall he is and his willingness to go into his shot so quickly. Another quick break here. I want to tell you about Strava Craft Coffee, the partner that is most difficult for me to pronounce, the CBD-enriched coffee that has really changed lives. The reviews are incredible, so check them out. This CBD-infused coffee has taken away long-term migraines, back pain, arthritis, IBS. It's helped decrease anxiety, you name it. CBD is an all-natural, not psychoactive. So the coffee is rich and tasty, and we couldn't recommend it more to our listeners. As Strava says, drink deeply, live fully. Check it out for yourself today and receive 20% off when you use promo code DNVR20 at checkout, and you'll get it shipped straight to your door. That's right. They'll deliver it right to your door. You don't have to get up and go anywhere. And try to fly through some of these notes here. Uh, Plumley was really bad in this game, especially in that first in. He missed back-to-back layups. He had a three-second violation, some bad rotations. I thought Paul Millsap was also pretty bad in the first half. He was very good in the third quarter. Um, Nuggets had a little run in, in the middle of that second with the Jokic, Michael Porter Jr., Millsap, Monte lineup. But Millsap airballed a floater, missed a wide-open corner. Um, it was just, it was one of those. You know, you look, go back and look at that quarter or that that stretch of basketball, and you think Denver's down 12. They could have cut it to like four with how many great looks they generated, but there was just some really ugly play from some of those key guys. Um, and then Houston hit another buzzer beater to end the quarter, just absolutely brutal. 69 points in that first half. So again, this goes back to my theory about you throw Torrey Craig in that starting lineup. He's just not good enough and not the type of player that can can single-handedly have a positive impact. They just kept switching them off. So with my, if I'm Michael Malone, I look at that. It, it would be really interesting to see what would happen to the Nuggets in a playoff series against Houston. It probably wouldn't be that interesting. It'd probably suck. But one of the things you would wonder is, you know, you Murray is a player that might not just be able to play. Um, if you have Barton out there, Gary Harris and Torrey Craig, I think Denver can do a pretty good job of defending him. Uh, at least make it difficult on him. You you have Murray out there. It doesn't matter who the other three are. They're just going to look for him and pick and roll, get him switched out, and then attack him. And that's exactly what happened in that first half. There are two keys, though, to beating Houston offensively, like outscoring them. One is offensive rebounding. The other is getting Jokic in the post because – just as much as they switch everything, including one five screen. So they are perfectly happy having Clint Capella switch out onto a point guard and James Harden onto Jokic or whatever. So you got to crash the boards. Millsap 
against P.J. Tucker. P.J. Tucker's strong, but he's little. You can try to go and just crash the boards, and then same thing, Jokic can post up. Well, in the third quarter, great examples of both. I think Jokic had 13 points or 15 points in that third quarter, and a lot of those were just off of great post moves. James Harden has defended him well in the post, but I, I would think Jokic might have sort of figured him out a little bit because he had some very deliberate post moves. What I mean by that is it looked like he knew what he wanted to do when he got James Harden. It wasn't like a bunch of shoulder fakes and up and unders. He just kind of like one dribble attack and lean and and that's the way you do it. James Harden not tall enough to block his shot. So you just need to make quick like decisive moves and jump over the top of him and just, you know, if you try to if you try to like outmuscle him or whatever, you're playing his game. Jokic did a good job of that. And then Millsap, I think he had three offensive rebounds just in that quarter, all turned into second chance points. That's what you got to do. Torrey Craig also picked up five fouls in that third quarter. That's another thing that happened. And again, this kind of lends itself to my theory a little bit. Um, Torrey Craig gets two fouls back-to-back almost immediately, so he doesn't play in that third quarter. In comes Malik Beasley, and what do you know? Denver goes on a run. They score 37 points in the quarter. I don't know that you can stop Houston. You can slow him down, but you've got to outscore him. You've got to put up points. Um, Jokic had... Uh, so Jokic had it going, but this is one thing I'll say, and, and it's a little bit of a mini trend. I think Jokic, after that Laker game, I've talked about it, four weeks ago, there's been a resurgence. I think he looked in the mirror. I think that there's been some gr- real, real growth from him. Last two games, he's gotten a little bit of frustration to him. He picked up that third foul in the previous game in the backcourt that everybody talked about. But in this game, you know, he the refs the refs had some t- some very questionable calls. Let's put it that way, or no calls. He he gets Capella in the post. He's just scored like 13 straight points. He gets Capella in the post, shot fakes. Capella jumps over his back, lands on him, and and Jokic just kind of flips it up like he knows he's getting fouled. And there's no call. I have no idea. I watched the play like 10 times. I have no idea how a ref would actually even miss that play but nonetheless you know it happens referees miss calls that one was a little bit egregious but you could see Jokic wanted to give a take foul at that moment he was so pissed and he actually played pretty bad basketball for the next like two or three minutes and I think this is to me a bit of a regression for Jokic in that you know I thought he has done a much better job this year of controlling his temper uh, I think he's been very, very good over the last three weeks about sort of being aggressive and confident, whatever. And he allowed that moment to sort of throw him off his game. And to me, the back half of his minutes, the last three or four minutes that he played in that quarter were not very productive in part because he was just so pissed. He airballed a jumper. Um, he had a couple just like very frustrated, clearly frustrated plays. And I think he was just a little rattled. You got this year and and maybe the next several, to me, it's all about Jokic growing as a player and as a person, and that starts with his mind frame. That starts with him being motivated, self-motivated, so he doesn't have to, like, you know, start slow or whatever. He just sees up for every game. But it's also the mental calmness and toughness. I, I would call it toughness. Like, I think with Jokic, there's a great story from Harrison Wind uh, up on DNVR. It's actually maybe my favorite story he's written all year. Really, you, you're going to want to check it out. Some interesting details on Vlatko Chanchar and his relationship with Nikola Jokic. And sort of Vlatko maybe knows how to push Jokic's buttons in a really, really interesting way. Um, you're going to want to check that out. But... Um, one of the things with Jokic is sort of, cha- I, I, I think not calling it keeping your cool, I would call it mental toughness. Jokic's a tough guy. He wants to be thought of as tough. But mentally, he can be soft sometimes. And I think calling a spade a spade is important with Jokic. When he loses his cool and gets rattled and shoots air balls and throws errant passes because he's mad at the officials, that's weakness. There's no other word for it. It's weakness. And I think he's been very, very good about it this year, but he was bad in this game and it hurt Denver. Um, Mason Plumley in that third quarter had a foul so bad that 
Actually, this is the we're getting to the fourth quarter now. Or no, this is the third quarter. Plumlee had a foul so bad that Marlowe and Hastings thought it was a hack of a hack of shack play. They fact Isaiah Hartenstein put him on the foul line. Hartenstein's seventy one percent free throw shooter. That's that was not it was not a hack a shack. It was just such a bad play by Plumlee that they thought it was intentional. And um, Plumlee just he's prone to these types of things sometimes. Like him and Tory Craig both they they do some great great things on the defensive end with hustle. But every now and then their hustle just makes them do something really really dumb. And that was an example of it. Gets they they were struggling to score. I think they get twenty three points in that quarter. You give them two of those points came off of what looked which was such a bad foul. It looked intentional. Um, so Nuggets, nonetheless, Nuggets rally and that bench unit rallies to cut the lead to three to end the quarter. And it looks like Denver was in it. Houston, here's what's interesting. Houston brought back their starters, James Harden and Russell Westbrook and Eric Gordon. So they have their three best playmakers and dribble drive, um, scorers. They bring them all into the game against Nuggets bench. This was Mike Dan Tony's chess move against uh, Mike Malone. And I think Michael Malone obviously saw it. He just elected to stay with his bench advantage. Mike D'Antoni, this was the, and I don't blame Michael Malone for sticking with his rotation. You want to see what works. You don't want to always be reactive. And, and so, especially in the regular season, should these teams meet in the playoffs, you would want to know what your regular rotation looks like against this rotation. So I, I don't fault Malone at all for sticking with it. But it was a 10-0 run to start the quarter for Houston, and the game was over. Um, you go from up three to up 13 after you had just spent an entire quarter cutting a 16-point lead down to three for it to immediately go back up. And when I say immediate, it was like a minute and 50 seconds. Immediately go back up to 13. Um, that was just it, that was a backbreaker for the Nuggets. So it's an interesting thing because Michael Malone has been very inflexible with his rotations with regards to, you know, okay, fourth quarter, the bench starts, Jokic sits, and he comes in with about six, seven minutes left. He's been very inflexible with that. But I wonder the next time they play, they play twice in January. I wonder if uh, Malone's going to tinker with that at all. I suspect he will because Denver might match up with the Houston Rockets in the playoffs. And if they do, that's a move that I don't see. the I do not see the bench unit stopping James Harden, uh, Russell Westbrook, Eric Gordon, all in the court at the exact same time. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Don't forget, watch party next Wednesday against the Dallas Mavericks. Should be a really, really fun watch party. Blake Street Tavern. Uh, gonna come drink some beer with me, watch, uh, eat some delicious food, and, of course, watch the Denver Nuggets, talk some Denver Nuggets, and let's have a good time. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you all next time.